If you could turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 32 through 42. I pray that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. I praise God for Brother Chad today. Uh, Amen. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful man of God. Praise God for each and every one of you here today. If you are a visitor visiting with us for the first time today, uh, we are elated uh, that you chose to come and to worship with us today. And we pray uh, that the Lord would do a mighty work in your heart uh, through the proclamation of his word. If you can stand to your feet to Mark chapter and turn your Bible to Mark chapter 14. If you did not bring your Bible uh, and you don't have one with you, that's okay. You can look right at the screen and we have uh, the words of God uh, on, on the screen. Let's read. Verse 32 says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, You may be seated in the name of our Lord. Uh, Inside your uh, bulletins, or in fact, if you walked around today, you received a a worksheet, a a handout. Uh, You can follow along throughout uh, today's message along with me. Uh, It wasn't long ago. I woke up in the morning and I was excited to start the day. I wanted to get a jump on a day because I had a lot of meetings and, and things going on. So I came in early and came into the office. Normally in the mornings I'm at a coffee shop studying and reading, but I decided to come into the office before uh, Sister Lastly uh, came in. And I'm in there and I'm reading and I'm studying and, and I felt led to just spend some time in prayer. And I began to pray, and I got in the posture of prayer. And as I'm praying, I don't remember anything after that because I fell into a deep, deep sleep. And I'm not talking about one of those, you know, a short nap. I'm talking about an REM, all-out, full-throttle, drooling-all type of sleep. And I wake up to a knock, and it's Sister Lastly. And she had come into the office and she had a question to ask me. And I wake up suddenly and I get up and I'm wiping the drool off my face. And I'm trying to get my voice together because I don't want her to know that I just was knocked out. So I get myself together and I open the door and I try to look all bright eyed. 
and she, we, we interact. And after I closed the door, I was so embarrassed. Now, I'm not sure if, if Sister Francis knew that I was asleep or not, but I was embarrassed. More so, I was embarrassed before God as I knew that, man, everything in me wanted to spend some sweet time in prayer with him. But for whatever reason, I fell asleep. And I, I felt ashamed. I felt bad. But, you know, I, I wish I could stand before you and, and give you some another story that's uh, heroic and another story about my prayer life that that could help offset that embarrassing moment. But but I'm not, because the truth of the matter is that even though I'm a, a, a pastor and an overseer of this flock, there are times that I just struggle to pray. There are, there are times where I, I just have a, a hard time pressing in and getting close to God. I wish that every time I prayed was, was there was a great shakening, there was a great revival, but, but the truth be told, there are, are times where, where praying is hard. And if you're honest here today, uh, you'll be willing to admit that, that maybe you go through seasons where prayer is difficult and prayer is hard. And maybe you will be willing to, to admit that, that sometimes you struggle to pray. Sometimes we struggle to pray, or maybe some of you struggle to pray this morning because simply maybe you've never been taught how to pray. You became a Christian, and maybe you heard a sermon or two on it, but you you really just don't get the necessity of prayer prayer and and why you should pray and, and how to pray. Others in here this morning, maybe you have a hard time with prayer because maybe you've prayed a, a bunch of things and you just you just haven't seen them come true. So maybe for whatever reason, you're, you're wondering in your heart, man, does God really answer prayer? And maybe he answers prayer, but maybe he doesn't answer my prayer. So maybe you're stagnant and slow to go to him in prayer. And you just maybe your prayer is just simply, man, I just believe everything's going to work out. For others in here, maybe you don't pray because you are just guilt ridden. You want to pray to God, but but when you go to pray, you're just reminded of everything you're not and every way you you fail. Some of us, when we struggle in prayer, because uh, uh, and when we come before God to pray, our mind is just drifting everywhere. Have you ever been there? You're sitting down and you want to pray, and all of a sudden, while you're talking to God, you're like, Jesus, I, I love you, and I thank you for this day that you have made. Oh, my goodness, I forgot to get eggs at the grocery store. Come on, come on back, man, come on back. And, Lord, you are just so good, and I wonder why Nuke Nuke didn't call me back yesterday. Right. Your mind is just kind of drifting other places. And some of us, we don't pray because we're lazy, because we haven't made it a priority. Some of us, we don't pray because we feel like we're just too busy to pray. It's too much going on. And some of us, when we do pray, we find ourselves going to sleep. There's a lot of reasons or even excuses that we can uh, use to contribute to our our struggle to pray. Uh, But at the end of the day, we, we, we just have to be honest with ourselves and we we have to say that whatever the excuse, whatever the reason is, uh, we know that, that, that it doesn't stand. It doesn't stand when we take it to God. Because God tells us to pray, even though prayer is hard, we have to, we have to press through. We have to press through. And that's kind of the big idea of today's sermon. The big idea of today's of sermon is this. It's either you will be praying or you will be prayed upon. Pray or be prayed upon. In the Gospel of Mark, we've been traveling through it. We find ourselves in the 14th chapter and, and verses 32 through 42. We know that Jesus has just 
uh, instituted the Lord's Supper. He and his disciples have gotten together and they've had communion. And Mark doesn't, doesn't share this, but right after communion, according to John chapter 14 through 17, uh, the disciples are, they go on a walk, they're singing hymns, and, and Jesus just breaks out into a, a long, great sermon. And he's just talking about all kinds of things. I encourage you to go home and to, to read about it. And right after Jesus breaks into this long, great sermon, we find these words. Verse 32 says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and they began to be, and he began to be greatly distressed and, and troubled. So the Bible says that they, they, they go and they, uh, Jesus preaches to them, and, and he goes to a place called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane literally means a, a place of breaking or an oil press, an oil press. It was a, a place of breaking. It was right under the Mount of Olives. So a lot of times the, the olives would, would come and, and they would be around. And, and we see throughout the Gospels that Gethsemane was a place that Jesus often resorted to to pray. Luke constantly shows us this. This was a place that, that Jesus went to pray. So Jesus takes his, his disciples to this, this oil press, to this garden, In order to teach them a lesson, that's the lesson that we're talking about. In order to show them that either you are praying or you are being prayed upon. Either we are relying on the the strength of Jesus or we're relying on our our own strength. And when we talk about prayer, when we talk about prayerlessness, we can really just kind of bring it down to that. Our failure to pray, no matter what excuse or what reason we come up to, at the end of the day, It comes down to self-reliance and self-confidence. John chapter 5, verse 15, uh, Jesus, uh, chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Prayer is a posture of dependence. Prayer is a posture that says, I realize that no matter how small the task or how great the task, that I greatly need God to intervene in my life. So Jesus is trying to teach his disciples this in order to encourage them, in order to teach them this valuable lesson. He, in essence, is teaching them that it is important that they always have their spiritual eyes open. And it's important that even though we know that prayer is hard and there are challenges to pray, that we continue to persevere in prayer, that we continue to put down our our, our trophies of self-confidence and self-reliance and lean on the strength of the Lord. And for the disciples, they, they had to learn this lesson. We see that Jesus starts off with his disciples. Undoubtedly, it was probably 11 plus uh, other women who who often traveled with him. And what he did is as they were walking, he he told a group of the disciples, he said, hey, I want you guys to sit here and wait for me. And then he took some other disciples, Peter, James and John. And he said, I I want you all to come with me. Peter, James and John was kind of the, the, the rock of the early church. They were the the first among equals in in many ways. So Jesus takes these three a little farther than he took the other disciples because these three were going to be used to kind of be the leaders of the other disciples. And he wants to teach them a valuable lesson that the only way that they're going to get through dark times, the only way the early church is going to thrive and fulfill the commission that he's going to give is if they are relying on him and if they are cultivating a deep life of prayer. And the only way this church is going to thrive in Newburgh and Petersburg and Louisville and in the world is if we have people who are convinced that nothing great happens unless God's people come together and pray. 
The only way our personal lives are going to go from chaos to control under God's hand is if we've committed ourselves to prayer. So we see Jesus taking his leaders, taking his disciples. But we also see in this text that it says that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. Why was Jesus greatly distressed and troubled? Well, number one, he says, because the hour has come. He tells his disciples, I'm I'm greatly distressed and troubled. In fact, the text says he was so distressed and troubled, he says that he was distressed even to death. Meaning that he was distressed to the point that he felt like he was about to literally die. Literally die. He was distressed because the hour has come. He was also distressed, he says in the text, because he knew that he had to drink a cup. Verse number 36, he prays to to God, remove this cup from me. He knew that he had to drink of a cup. What is that? The cup was a metaphor term that Jesus is using that is, is picked up all throughout the Old Testament. We see the major prophets using it. But we see in Psalm chapter, the 75th division of Psalm, verses 7 through 8, that the psalmist says this. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Throughout the prophets and even throughout the psalm, throughout the psalter, we see that this, this metaphor for a cup is being spoken of. And what it is, is it's God's wrath. It's God's wrath. So Jesus is greatly distressed because he knows that he is about to drink from a cup of wrath. He is about to absorb the wrath of God. In this text, we see the humanity of Jesus on display. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was fully God, 100% God, and yet he was fully human, fully man, 100% man. In the garden, God shows us that as a man, that Jesus was distressed, that Jesus was troubled. You can be distressed and troubled without being in sin. Anxiety and worry is a sin. Because at the root of anxiety and and worry is unbelief. But we can be distressed and we can be be troubled and not sin. And Jesus was distressed and troubled and he, he was not sinning. How was he not sinning? Because of what he did with his distress and trouble. He took it to the one who he knew could do something about it. And he did not allow his distress and trouble to draw him away from God. But rather, he allowed these feelings and these emotions to drive him towards God. So he knows he's about to absorb the very wrath of God. Look how Jesus is handling this darkest hour. Look how he is handling this cup. He is the only one who could handle God's wrath. He is the only one who can take on God's wrath and and live to sing about it. Because he is fully God. But it distressed him. It, it, It wore down on him. Why did it wear down on him? Because in that cup was every act of malice, was every sin that would ever be committed by God's people. In that cup of malice was the sins that you committed yesterday, the sins that you committed this morning. In that cup was our anger, was our lust, was our worrying, was our pornography. In that cup was our adultery and our fornication and our bitterness. Jesus, literally, in Gethsemane, had 
the weight of our sin bearing down on us. He never knew sin. And he's filling this, this cup, this raft that is coming. Jesus' distress and sorrow showed the intensity of God's wrath. It showed how hard God's wrath is when it comes down. Sometimes we take that lightly. As we look at this passage in Gethsemane, we want to know that he is stressed out because of what he's going to do for us. And sometimes we take sin lightly and we habitually do things and we kind of laugh and say, oh, God's going to take care of it. Or it was nailed to a cross. Yes, it was, but it took something. In Gethsemane, Jesus' will was crucified. On the cross, our sins were taken care of. Jesus' distress and his sorrow showed the intensity of God's wrath towards sin as well as the intensity of God's love for us. The Bible says that he was sweating to the point that his sweat turned into blood. Some of you in here, you have not allowed Jesus to, to, you have not allowed your sins to, to enter into that cup because you have not looked to Jesus in faith. You have not turned your heart to Jesus In this text, we see how much Jesus loves you. The only way that your sins are going to be taken care of is if you look to him in faith and repent from your sin and say, Jesus, drink, take my sins upon you. Jesus is in distress at this hour and he presses through to pray. He he presses through to, to be in the presence of God because prayer, prayer, Prayer ushers in the presence of God, the perspective of God, and the power of God. When we get on our knees and pray, we are ushering in, we are saying, God, I want your presence, I need your presence, I need your power, and I need your perspective. And that's what Jesus did. Some of us, we struggle to pray simply because we we don't know where to begin. We don't know where to begin. And you walk out of here, you say, I want to pray, but I just feel so goofy. I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to talk to God. So let's look at Jesus' prayer real quick, and let's look at some elements in his prayer so that we can learn about praying. And it's interesting to note that the disciples, throughout Jesus' ministry, they never asked Jesus to teach us how to preach. But they did ask Jesus. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because Jesus modeled prayer, and that's what he's doing here with the disciples. Now, we see in a sect that the disciples fall asleep. He's praying three times. He goes back, and he confronts them because they're falling asleep. So if they're asleep, they didn't hear him pray this. This is probably after his resurrection where he is talking to his disciples, and he's letting them know exactly what was going on in Gethsemane. And this is what he prayed. Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father. All sins are possible, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What you will. In this short prayer, we see a number of things. Number one, we see that Jesus' prayer is God-centered. Jesus' prayer is God-centered. Jesus is not speaking something into the atmosphere. Jesus is not speaking to Mother Nature. He is speaking to a specific person. And who is that person? God, his Father. And listen to what he says. He says, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father is an, Aram- Abba is an Aramaic term that literally means daddy or papa. When Jesus prays this prayer, this was not a popular thing to pray because 
Jews did not approach God in this way. They're very stoic and very formaic when they pray to God. But Jesus doesn't just talk to God as if he's some distant God that he doesn't have a relationship with. Jesus talks to him and he says, Daddy, he's pleading with him, Daddy, as a child pleads with a parent when they really need something or they're really hurting with anguish in their heart. He's, he's saying, Daddy, Papa, please, Father, hear what I have to say. Prayers are God-centered. Number two, Jesus' prayer is hope-filled. It's hope-filled. Listen to what he says. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So even though he's in distress, and even though this is his darkest hour, and I will argue that it was, it was probably even darker than what he experienced on the cross. On the cross, yes, he did experience God pouring his wrath out, but this was, this was even more psychological. He never would have made it to the cross had not he conquered Gethsemane. So in his darkest hour, even though he's hurting, he's able to praise his father. Because he has a perspective of God, a perspective that says with God, all things are possible, a perspective with God that says, I hope in you. And even in our darkest hour of distress, we want to remember who we're praying to. We are praying to our daddy. We are praying to our papa. We are praying to someone who cares about us. And no matter how dark and how messed up our situation is, we can have hope. No matter how bad your marriage is. Go to God with hope. No matter how messed up that child is, go to God with hope. No matter how big that debt is, go to God with hope. No matter how much your sins seem to be drowning you, go to God with hope. You say, Daddy, Daddy, all things are possible. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth and who has earth suspended in midair on an invisible axis. He can do all things. Number three, it was honest and specific. Jesus' prayer was honest and specific. This is Jesus. This is our model. This is our hero. What does he pray? Remove this cup. Remove this cup. The weight of our sin was so heavy that the most perfect being who ever lived could not could not bear it without asking God to help him. His humanity, everything in him that was human was saying, if there's any way possible, if there's any way that we can get this done without me having to bear this, without me having to be separated from your presence, without me having to feel your your wrath, Lord, remove it. Do you see how much Jesus loved you? It's honest. Sometimes we, we are just so dishonest when we pray. Right? You know, this week was Thanksgiving, and I'm at home. My mother makes this pie. It's called the Million Dollar Pie. I'll tell you the ingredients later, you know. It's called the Million Dollar Pie. It's my favorite pie. Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, she makes it for me. She outdid herself this year for Thanksgiving, cooked a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, I really wanted that pie. That's our tradition. We don't miss the pie. Sometimes I feel like you can take the turkey, don't take the pie. So she says, Jamal, I'm really tired, but if you really want me to make this pie, I'll make it. Kind of gave me that look like I'm really tired. She didn't say that, but she said, if you really want me to make it. And I said, no, I'm okay. I just knew the next day that pie was going to be made. Right? I wasn't honest, (laughs) and I wasn't specific. And sometimes when we pray with each other, we're that way. 
Oh, uh, how, can we, how can we pray for you? Oh, you know, I'm blessed and highly favored. Everything's going well. No. Be transparent. You can be transparent with your brothers and sisters in Christ who you know are, are walking in wisdom and seeking to, to glorify the Lord. Jesus was honest. He said, Lord, remove it. And he was specific. Sometimes we don't pray and our prayer life isn't thriving because we're so general when we pray. We don't ask for specific things. And not only do we not ask for specific things, we don't follow up to see how God has answered their prayer specifically. We need to be specific. Lord, I'm asking you to do this. Will you do it? Not only is it honest and specific, but but Jesus prays with a sense of helplessness. He prays with a sense of helplessness. You can put helpless down there or you can put humility. Look at what he's doing. He's saying, Father, if all things are possible with you, remove this cup from me. He didn't go to God and say, Father, I'm going to remove this cup. He said, no, I need you to do it. And when we pray, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, I need you to do it. And that's not just with the big things. That's with every little thing that's in our lives. Every little thing that's going on with us, we need to have a, a heart that says, Lord, I realize that I am helpless. I can't put one foot in front of the other if you do not give my heart the, the blood that it needs to, to continue to allow this body to work. And when I fail to pray, it's because I am prideful. And I think that everything is going to work out the way that I want it to or that I can work everything out. It's God-centered, it's hope-filled, it's honest, it's specific, and we come with a sense of helplessness. Number five, Jesus' prayer is submissive. Jesus' prayer is submissive. Not only is it the other things, but it's submissive. He goes and he shares his heart, he shares his dreams with God. We should be able to share our heart, our dreams, our fears with God as our Abba Father, But he ultimately has a heart that says, you know what? Not my will, but your will. What is he saying when he says, not my will, but your will? What are we saying when we say, not my will, but your will? We are saying, God, I know that you know what's best. And I trust that you will always do what is best for your kingdom and my good. And we have to believe that when we pray. If God has not taken this thorn from us, if God has not taken this tribulation, this trial from us, even though we're asking him to take it, we have to believe that he has allowed it to linger. He has allowed it to stay for a reason. And in the pain, in the anxiety, in the hurt, in the trouble, we have to depend on him and say, not my will, but your your will is better. You know what's best. When you pray and when we take things to God, we can take what is honestly on our mind. We don't have to to hold back. God already knows, but we have to do it with a heart of submission, a heart that believes that God is the chief and greatest being. Verse 37. It says, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here we see Jesus is about to teach a a major, major lesson. 
the lesson that we've been talking about, that either we are going to pray, P-R-A-Y, or we will be prayed, P-R-E-Y. We will be prayed upon. So what does it mean here to watch and pray? What does it mean here to watch and pray? What it means is Jesus is saying, have your spiritual eyes open. Have your spiritual eyes open. And to communicate and communicate with God out of a dependency for him. It means to have your spiritual eyes open and to talk with God, to lean on God out of spiritual dependency. It means don't, don't be asleep. It's where watch is literally where keep alert, stay awake. So why I believe he was te- te- teaching and talking to the disciples about their physical sleep because he did tell them to stay awake. I believe more importantly, he's trying to teach them a lesson about spiritually. This has been a long day for them. Not only has they been, have they been doing ministry earlier in the day, not only did they do Lord's uh, Supper, but in John we see that Jesus has preached a sermon to them, and he also prayed in front of them, and that was a pretty long prayer, John 17, and that's probably a summary. So they're tired, right? And they're falling asleep, and he's saying, keep, keep awake. But I believe what he's saying here is, is spiritually, stay awake. Stay awake. It's a critical that we watch and pray. It's critical that we watch and pray. Because if we are not praying, we are being prayed upon. If we are not praying, we are going to, to lose our, our spiritual battles. When we fail to pray, we get spiritually picked apart. When we fail to pray, we find ourselves gravitating towards sin. When we fail to pray, we we find ourselves with low spiritual zeal. When we fail to pray, we we are ministering and and living in the flesh. Many of us are living subpar Christian lives because we are not intentionally seeking to grow in our prayer life. Some families in here are being ripped apart. Husbands, your family is being taken over, and you're trying, you're trying to figure out what's going on, and you're, you're doing good things. You're coming to church, you're coming to Bible study, you're, you're, you're talking about the Bible with someone at work, but you're trying to figure out why in the world do I keep falling into temptation? Why in the world is my, is my home falling apart? It's because you, you failed to persevere in prayer. Same thing with wives and same thing with high school students. You're, you're, you're struggling to, to be a light amongst your friends, even though you, you know the Lord and you've, returned, you've turned and put your faith and trust in him. But you're struggling. And it might be because you are not spiritually awake and praying. You're not discerning. You're not looking with spiritual eyes to see what's going on. The Bible says that Satan is like a a roaring lion and he is seeking who he can devour. Seeking who he can tear apart. And he sometimes tears apart Christians just like he did the disciples. So Jesus goes to the disciples. He tells them to watch and pray. He goes back and forth three times. He comes back. He prays the same thing. I think this is a summary of the prayer over the next hour. He's coming back. I mean, he's waking them up, right? Hey, they're trying to get sleep. <laughs> they hear Jesus come. Peter, get up. Jesus coming. Right? But they, they fail to do that. And what happens? They get picked apart. Right after this, Judas comes with the rest of the Sanhedrin, and they come to take Jesus captive. 
They all scatter, even though they genuinely love Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. And just just a few verses before this section, we see that Peter is standing in self-confidence. Jesus says that when they come for the shepherd and they take the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. Peter says, certainly not. They may, but I'll never leave. Like, shoot, you don't know me. I'm about my business. Standing in self-confidence. Standing in pride. But Jesus knows. But Jesus knows. He says here, could you not watch one hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation? There's a direct correlation with us falling into temptation in our prayer life. Some of you are just entangled in in a habitual pattern of sin. Maybe it's bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe it's, it's, it's fornication or some other flesh issue, whatever it is. And I, 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 wonder, I wonder how much of a difference can be made if you would take that issue to God and pray. If you would go to him as, as your father. If you would go to him knowing that all things are possible with hope. If you go to him, be very specific. And say, Lord, this is my heart issue. I find myself doing this thing. Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, teaching them how to go before the Lord daily, what does he say? Lead us not into temptation. That should be a daily prayer for Christians. Lord, protect me from my heart's most natural beat apart from you. Protect me from the sin that I want to run from. Protect me from this this false refuge and these false gods and these idols in my heart. Father God, without you intervening in my heart, I have no chance. Lead us not into temptation. We're trying to fight temptation. We're trying to live in this dirty and filthy world, this world that Satan has set up, this this world that is is bombarded with, with, with provocative marketing. We're trying to live and 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 succeed on Satan's playground without using God's tools and God's resources. Look what he says. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit that God has given his church, it is ready. It is ready to help us to overcome our weakness. It is ready to help us to overcome our sin issues. But it is not activated. And it is not at full throttle because the the flesh is prevailing. The flesh is weak. It is pulling us down. So what we have to do is we have to build up the spiritual man. We have to make sure that spiritual man is built up. And the first way we build it up is by asking God to do it. Philippians chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. We live before him the best we can with fear and trembling, but we know that ultimately it is God. It is God who gives us the strength to do it. Man, my wife is an energy saver at home, all right? She figured this thing out with energy that we can save a a, a good grip of money if we just unplug our appliances 
uh, when we're not using them. Make sure every light is off. I turn on a light. She comes behind me. She turns it off. Sometimes I come in and I'm sitting down on the couch and I'm ready to watch uh, television turn on CNN or something like that. And it's not working. I'm like, man, it's not plugged up. And she'll just kind of laugh. I'll look at her. I'll laugh. And I've got to go plug it up, right? You know, the television isn't going to work if it's not plugged in. Electricity is not going to flow. That microwave is not going to heat things up if it's not connected. Prayer connects us to the energy source. God's word connects us into the energy source. As we pour ourselves over in prayer and as we give our hearts to the Lord, to his word, it it empowers the spirit. It quickens that spirit and that spirit begins to turn and it begins to work. And before you know it, the spirit is, is taking over and it's training you and teaching you. James chapter 4, God says that, that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's put in us. In other words, he is jealous that we are not activating that spirit, that we are not living in the spirit, walking in the spirit, that he is not in communion with us. The flesh is weak. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 23. We see that this flesh is weak. And what does Paul say the solution is? The solution is Jesus. The solution is adoring this one whom God has sent, this one who did not fail to pray. Even when I fail to pray, I can look to Jesus because he did not fail to pray. And he was crucified for my sin, and he also was crucified for my prayerlessness. When I look to him in faith and say, Jesus, help me to pray. Have you ever prayed about praying? You find yourself not praying? Pray about praying. Lord, help me to pray. Quicken my heart. Help me to plug into you. So that I'll have the power that I need. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. The disciples learned their lesson. They did. They learned their lesson. After they got picked apart by Satan, after they found themselves in a room huddled up in fear, after they found themselves going back to fishing rather than fishing for fish rather than fishing for men, we see in Acts chapter 1 all the way throughout the book that they are depending on prayer. Acts chapter 1 says that they were together on one accord. And what were they doing with Mary and and Jesus' mother and the rest of the disciples? Acts chapter 1, they're praying. Later on in Acts chapter 1, they have to pick someone to to replace Judas as as an apostle. What do they do? They say, who's the smartest? Who's the best looking? Who's been with us the longest? No, they say, let's pray about it. They pray. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that Peter preaches a profound sermon and 3,000 souls come to the Lord. And after Peter preaches his sermon and 3,000 souls come to the Lord, the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Acts chapter 4, they are together. Peter has just been released with another disciple as they were in jail. They come together, Peter and the rest of the disciples, and they say, hey, we are lacking boldness. Hey, these, this is getting tough. We are going to be, we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be ostracized. We are going to beat up, be beat up. What should we do? Should we stand here? Should we murmur? Should we complain? No, let's pray. The Bible says that they prayed for boldness. And the Bible says, and the place was shaken. The place was shaken. Because they learned that either they're going to pray or they're going to be prayed upon. Our memory verse of the month. Acts, uh, Galatians chapter 2, chapter 20 says, It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives within me. It talks about the, the, how, how the flesh is weak, but how we look to Jesus in faith. That's how you overcome the weak flesh. 
That's how you overcome these tendencies. You look to Jesus in faith and you say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. But regardless of our struggles, we have to persevere and pray or we will be picked apart. So what's some, some practical things? As we're looking to Jesus and we're praying to Jesus, Lord, help me to pray. Help me to see that either I'm praying or I'm being prayed upon. Help me to see that. What's some, some practical things to help us to get over some of the things we talked about earlier in the sermon? To get over mind drifting, to get over all these things. What's some practical things that we can apply as we look to Jesus in faith? Here's some practical things that we can do. Number one, A, we can resolve to begin uh, our day in prayer. To begin our day in prayer. I said in the morning next to it because by beginning your day in prayer, I don't, I I mean, allow that to to be one of the first things that you do in the morning. And it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-up prayer, but but get in the habit and start cultivating a heart that says, before I get this day going, I need to seek the face of God and ask God to help me with today. Because every day has its own challenges. And every day we have our own temptation, a temptation to be bitter, a temptation to be sarcastic. Amen? A temptation to not love our husband, to not respect our, uh, our, respect our husbands and loves our, love our wives. We want to give that to the Lord. Because what we're saying is, Lord, I am depending on you from the beginning. Okay? And that's not a law. You may forget. You may not do it. That's fine. But I think it's, it's important that we start off that way. The Bible constantly says that Jesus began each day with prayer. He would get away often to a place by himself and he would pray. Remember, prayer is inviting the power presence and perspective of God into whatever situation that you're going through. Now, some of you say that, say, I pray every morning. I'm on my way to work. Somebody cut me off. I pray, Lord, please don't help. Please don't let me kill this person. Right? Well, we had a light. We're praying, right? Lord, please help this light to hurry up and turn green because I cannot be late today. No, I mean a concentrated time of prayer. B. Uh, schedule prayer breakaway times. Schedule prayer breakaway times. You know, the beginning of the week, Sunday's a great day. Look at your schedule and say, not only will I pray in the mornings, but let me schedule some breakaway times where I can just get, get in front of the Lord and pray. Block off and you start where you're at. If you know you can't pray 30 minutes, an hour, start at 5 minutes, 10 minutes, but you schedule it. Turn your phone off. Let your loved ones know from this time to this time, I am praying. Schedule it. If I never schedule a date night with my wife or times where we could just sit down and talk face to face, our marriage would not work. Even though we're talking on the run and talking on the go, it will become more of a business than a relationship. And some of you, are your, our, our, prayer, our lives with God has become more of a business uh, than, than, a, than a relationship. Because we are not scheduling time to pray. When was the last time where you just set time apart and prayed? When was the last time you did that and it wasn't because it was a life crisis? Cultivate that relationship with God. See, pray out loud. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. 
If there's nobody but you in the room or at home, pray out loud. I don't mean you shout or whatever. I mean, just, just maybe mumble what you're saying out loud. Sometimes when we're praying, that, that has been very helpful to me. Sometimes when I'm praying, my mind drifts or I'm thinking about something else. But when I begin to open my mouth and talk to God and pray to God, things just come together. And, and you have a lot more control over what you're thinking. So learn to mumble or even pray silently to yourself out loud if you find yourself drifting. D, read a book about prayer. Read a book about prayer. Read a book about prayer. Uh, I try to constantly keep uh, books about prayer in, in my repertoire. And a lot of times what I do, I, I may not read a lot about it, but before I get into my devotions and, and before I pray, I may just read a paragraph or two about that. I go very slowly through it, but it reminds me of the importance of prayer. It reminds me of the power of God and what he can do through prayer. So go and pick up a book about prayer. Here's three uh, suggestions that I have for you. Number one is A Passion for Prayer by Tom Eliff. A Passion for Prayer. A Passion for Prayer. Great, great book on prayer. A second is Delighted in God by Roger Steer. Great story about a, a man by the name of George Mueller and his prayer life. Unbelievable book. If you can read that book and not feel led to, to grow in prayer, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so leave it like that, amen? At least for a week. <laughs> you should be motivated at least for a week, amen? Keep a prayer journal. Keep a prayer journal. Men like, I ain't keeping no journal. I feel you. I don't call mine as a journal. I call it a prayer list, all right? <laughs> just write down your prayers, and, and it doesn't have to be anything great, but just, just know what you're praying for. And maybe at the end of the week or whatever, you look back over, and you just put a check to what God has answered. What's incredible is whenever we go on a mission trip, we take a group of people, and we have them write out their prayers, and we have you, the congregation, pray over the trip. And at the end of the trip, we always come back together, and we go through the prayers, and we check off all the prayers that were answered. And every trip I've ever been on, it's been amazing to see how much God answers prayer. Sometimes the reason why we become so stagnant in our prayer life is because we don't look back and see what God has done. God is answering prayers day after day after day, minute after minute after minute. And what we do is we just kind of chuck it up to chance as if this would have happened anyway. And if you do that, your heart will become hard towards God. And we'll eventually become selfish and think that God isn't doing nothing for us. And God's like, man, I'm doing everything for you. If only you would open your spiritual eyes and watch and see. F, pray scriptures back to God. Pray scriptures back to God. As you're reading your devotion, as you're going through the Psalms, read those Psalms. But allow those Psalms or whatever you read to, to be your focus of prayer that day. This will protect you from feeling like you're praying the same thing. This will protect you from, from praying selfish prayers. When you read God talking about how he has a heart for the nations, you begin to pray, God, I know you have a heart for the nations. I pray for other countries where the gospel is not, is not present that you, will, would, that you will save. Next Sunday and uh, this Wednesday, upcoming Wednesday, we are going to model this in Wednesday night Bible study. So I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, but we're going to talk about it. We talk about praying God's will. When you pray God's word, you pray God's will. <laughs> 
We, we take God's word. We say, here, God, this is what you said. This is how you revealed our, your heart to us. This is what I'm going to pray to you. God looks at that and says, yes, that is my will. That is my heart. That's what praying scriptures back to God means. So next, this Wednesday, we are going to come together on Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to look at a passage together, and we're going to, I'm going to show you what it looks like to pray scriptures back to God. Amen. If you look below on that worksheet, it says Forest Baptist Church, a December prayer challenge. Forest Baptist Church's December prayer challenge. Um, I want you to look at that real quick. For the month of December as a church, uh, we want to be intentional about praying and cultivating a heart of prayer. We want to be intentional about making sure that we are praying so that we won't be prayed upon. So as a church, we've got a prayer challenge. At 9 a.m., we have a prayer meeting before Sunday school starts. Sunday school starts at 9.30. And we have a time where we come together and when we pray. Uh, we want to, to, to really make sure that this is a time of prayer. So we're, we're inviting you for the month of December to be here at 9 o'clock and to pray. And part of that prayer time, right now what we do is, is people just pray out loud, but we're going to mix it up. There's going to be some time of silent prayer. There's going to be some time where we pray scriptures back to God. It's just going to be a sweet time of communion with the Lord starting next Sunday. So let's be here at 9 o'clock and let's be here as prompt as possible. Uh, I'm talking to myself on that one. Amen. Number two, begin each morning with deliberate time of prayer. I want to challenge you in the month of December to take it upon yourself to begin each morning with prayer. Number three, set aside a non-compromising block of time to pray each week. Set aside a non-compromising time uh, and a block, of, uh, a block of time, excuse me, to pray each week. Uh, fourth, I want to pray with a prayer partner once a week. I want to encourage you to get someone that's in here or get a believer, someone that you know that's strong, that's on your job, that's in your family or whatever, and just to say, hey, would you be my prayer partner for the month of December? Once a week, can we get together? It could be on the phone. It could be at a coffee shop. It could be wherever. Can we get together and can we pray? We're going to write down what we prayed about. When we come back together, we're going to check it off and we're going to rejoice at what our father has done for us, our daddy has done for us. And we're going to keep praying for other things. Now, what we want to do with this prayer challenge is I want you to put a check by whatever it is that you want uh, to commit to. You don't have to commit to all four things. You commit to two things. Do start at where you are. Amen. Spend some time praying about it. Put a check next to the challenge that you are resolving to be a part of. And then next Sunday, I want you to cut the bottom part off. We're going to have a basket here. And we're going to ask you to put your resolution for the month of, month of December in the basket. And we're going to come together as a church and pray that the Lord will help us to pray and to persevere in prayer. But even at the end of the time, if you find yourself failing and you've made a resolution and you're not keeping it more than you are keeping it, I want you to say, you know what? That's not the biggest, biggest problem in the world. Because for our prayerless times, God has a black backup plan. Somebody say, God has a backup plan. Salvation does not start with us. It is not kept by us. And it doesn't end with us. Salvation is the work of God. It is the work of God. And what's interesting is, is that, as I said before, Jesus died for our prayerless times, but also Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 28 says that even when we don't know how to pray, 
that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that God has given us, given His church, is praying on our behalf and groans in utterance. I don't know exactly what that means, but what I do know is that that is a backup plan. The Holy Spirit is interceding and is praying for us, and Jesus is interceding on our behalf even right now in heaven. So if you fail to make a resolution and keep it, keep looking to Jesus by faith. There may be someone here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus. You have never turned to trust Jesus. You have never looked to his cross. You have never looked to Gethsemane with gratitude. You've never said, I want to be yours, God. Will you make me mine? Today, we encourage you to do so. We encourage you to stop trying to live life in your own strength and in your flesh and to turn to God. God will give you his Holy Spirit, and his Spirit is willing. And his Spirit is ready to do in you what you can never do in yourself. Jesus died on the cross and, and absorbed God's wrath in order that you would not have to drink that cup of God's wrath. Today we're asking you to consider repenting and turning and putting your faith and trust in Jesus, for tomorrow is not promised. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for that challenge to pray or be prayed upon. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to not walk in self-confidence. Help us to put no confidence in the flesh. But help us to gaze upon your magnificent and beautiful son in faith. Help us when we are weak. And when we fall asleep by praying, Father God, may you respond to us like you responded to Peter. Simon, get up. Get up. And try again. Thank you for your grace, which gently nudges us and gives us another chance to come before your throne of grace boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.